So hello everyone, this is Christian Verwijs from The Liberators. And Barry Overheim. And today we have a very special guest, Karsten Grunbjerg Lutzen. You mentioned that it was a character test, right, your name? Yes, yes. <laughs> I have both Danish and German letters in my name, so that's a quite nice test. Cool. So, uh, Karsten, you are a scrum master at the Lego Group, and uh, we're humbled to have you in our podcast. We, uh, we've been working together yesterday, right? Yep. A beautiful session, one, uh, one day session with uh, how to kick off our learning journey. So that was quite awesome. Yeah. So we had a group of Scrum Masters together yesterday, 40 of them in total. And we talked basically about the Scrum Master learning journey. And it's also a nice topic for this podcast because we wanted to talk about, well, basically your learning journey as a Scrum Master. Um, and maybe just as a first question, when did that actually start, your journey? Well, so if we go back, I finished high school in 07 and then I started as a developer right after the big newspaper in Denmark uh, and then after some time we were tasked with rewriting a classified ad page in Denmark me and another developer and the manager was we're going to use scrum and I had no idea what what it was but in hindsight we were probably not doing it correct uh, but it, it still ignited something in me so after a couple of years of working I started to study computer science and all the time I had this so these processes how do I learn more of that and I had some quite okay courses actually at university that really sparked the idea of how can we actually make sure that we have a more predictable process so along with my studies I also started to dive deeper and deeper into it and then when I joined Lego I worked as a developer per title for some time but I was mostly doing scrum master work um, and I've now been at Lego for four-ish years four years yes so your your first uh, introduction to scrum was sort of like a manager saying we're gonna do scrum so that was sort of like a top-down approach yes or yeah for from the manager and me and the co-worker mm. so ah. we were not more people like that but we just wanted to play around with it because okay. at the point in time that department was growing rather rapidly mm. so going from rather few developers to a lot of developers so we were experimenting with how can we then maybe get more predictability and make sure that we deliver what we actually say we want to deliver mm. and how did that work out for for that if you can share a bit about that um we may we actually ended up having a lot of anti-patterns in hindsight but at the moment it 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 was way better than what we had before mm. um, and it gave it also it's it was really motivating to see the burn down chart going down and we could feel the progress and we could actually feel that we were getting somewhere mm. um, and that that was an eye opener again for mm. me that we actually we could see that we could see the value that we were delivering and it was not just being put on a shelf for later I'm kind of thinking that you mentioned in hind- in hindsight there were a lot of anti-patterns. If I look at my own journey as a Scrum Master, it's the same. Barry, yeah. is, Barry is actually <laughs> nodding right now. <laughs> so that's interesting, right? You start with Scrum, you think you're doing it quite well. Yep. But at some point you discover deeper insights into what it's actually about. And, and then you see the things you've done before that may not have been the best ideas. W- what is one of the examples of such an insight? When did your understanding of Scrum shift? I, I cannot say a particular event shifted it. it. It has just like shifted slowly over time. So at one point, um, we, we tried to prolong a sprint. That was a bad idea because we didn't finish the sprint, so we'll just let it run for one more week. Don't do that. Uh, that because that completely ruined the rhythm that we'd actually and momentum we had been building up 
um, it's just these small aha moments. Okay, so there's actually a reasoning behind keeping it steady mm-hmm. and having um, having it like mm-hmm. that. So apparently, you also have to experience what happens when you don't follow the yep. rules. Huh? Yeah, it's, I'm also a firm believer of that. I can I can tell my teams a lot of things I've experienced, but it doesn't help them as much as if they experience it themselves. Of course, I'll not deliberately let them fail, but sometimes I will let them go a bit out the line and then hopefully they realize that, okay, this is maybe not the best idea. Mm -hmm. And that will be a way stronger learning experience than if I had just told them from the start, don't do this. Mm -hmm. So currently, uh, are you a full-time Scrum Master or are you still combining it? I'm a full-time Scrum Master. And you have you combined the role? Yes. Developer and so what was your experience in that, combining the role Um, something else. For me, it was also that I really like to develop stuff, but I also realized that I, I like to work with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when the Scrum Master part also started to take off because we had more and more people joining and a bigger pressure on how do we actually structure things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that if if I can get the permission, so to say, from my manager, I would like to do this full time. But it's still, I did it for some years, um, a couple of years at, at Lego being part-time Scrum Master, part-time developer, but slowly, gradually, just shifting more and more to Scrum mm-hmm. Master and then only be a code janitor and then actually not doing anything development, yeah. but still having the title of developer, but just being a Scrum Master. In yeah, yeah. So we... we uh, speak to a lot of scrum masters that fulfill the role part-time and they often sometimes it works out some, sometimes they uh, get into some sort of trouble that it's yep. difficult to combine What's yeah I, I i'll say I, i'll agree to that so what when i was a part-time scrum master what we did was we at all retrospective had a third party in to facilitate it because mm-hmm. that made it easier for us to say okay carsten i don't think you're enough spending enough time as a scrum master whatever so that made it a more unbiased retrospective and mm-hmm. we also had a really great facilitator for that um, which of course also helped quite a lot mm-hmm. but i also i visited a conference and that was another aha moment where i got a lot of insights into okay so it could also be like this and that was also so that made me spend more time on actually preparing for f- uh, retrospectives how am i going for to facilitate this and not long after that, we had some internal training at Lego, um, also with agile coaching in mind, and that again just sparked my willingness and and actually my desire to be a, a full-time Scrum master that was only focusing mm. on doing that. Right. And right now you are with one Scrum team or multiple? Um, multiple. Multiple. How many do you have? Uh, I have three teams at the moment, which work on the same product. So it it's not they're not super diverse, but it's still, they used to be one team, but they grew, so now they're split into three teams. What I always like when I visit an organization is to sort of get a sense of what's going on there, and our listeners obviously can't because they're, mm. <laughs> they're working elsewhere, but can you sort of paint a picture of how the teams that you work with, what, is, what does a day look like for them? What does their work environment look like? What, what is something that you would notice if you walk in for the first time? Um, generally at Lego we have our brand framework and I really like that a lot because that puts emphasis on on playfulness and and learning and and caring and I think those values actually come into play so you will find people building Lego sets uh, in the office you will find people play foosball or or other activities to just get their mind off and do something else and I like that quite a lot and that also means so when we're having retrospectives people are willing to try out 
I'll say stupid things, but just for the for the fun of it to see where to does play. it actually end yeah. exactly yeah. to play. I loved last time when we were here is that there was a team and there was a I think there was a Death Star, an unfinished Death Star. And the idea was that every time someone deployed to production or something was done, they could do another few panels of the of the instruction manual to, to build the kit. Yeah, we often have a Lego set standing around because that is literally team building. Mm. That's actually nice. something that comes to mind as well. Last time when we visited uh, Lego, they had... Um, actually, it went kind of viral uh, because I posted it anonymously. Uh, um, uh, build your own retrospective. Yes. It was like on the wall. They were like... I'm not sure. Can you maybe describe it. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of retromat.org because yeah. it's a brilliant resource for for when we have to do retrospectives. And an external agile coach had the idea of making an analog version of that on a wall. So it was just like a matrix, so to say, build up with uh, some different alternatives for the stages in the Derby Larson model. And then you could just go take down the A4 paper and look at it, turn it around, read the description, and then get some inspiration for that. I think you've done a great job to create an environment that looks very appealing, you know, and very playful. And I think a lot of organizations that Barry and I visit, they don't have that playfulness at all. It's just office buildings and, and boring hmm. desks. And and f- it, it, for you, it's very different. I mean, it's playful, it's nice, it's colorful. People mm-hmm. are doing things. And mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's really nice, nice to see. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was kind of wondering... Um, what is a what is a big or a small success that you've experienced as a scrum master? Oh, that's a good question. So, I think there's been many different kinds of successes. I think one success is if we have a sprint review where we actually manage continuously to get the the not only the IT people but also the end u- or the users of the product. And I think we managed to do that on the project I'm working on now. But also. Uh, a success for me is also having a retrospective where it's great actions and outcomes that are being produced and people actually go out of the room thinking yes we are cool we can actually do this and and it's it it's nice to be in this team Mm -hmm. Um, and and that is one of the things i like to work on because i think we need to be better at also complimenting each other not just saying that what you did was not what we wanted so I spend a lot of time on working on feedback culture as well. How do you do that? Because that's very important. But the, the question is then always, okay, so how do you create that environment? What is something that you do to create that environment? Uh, so, of course, taking the playfulness into account. People might say that I'm a bit noisy when I'm in the office. But I, if people are quiet, then it, the office space just becomes even more quiet. So I'd like to have some dialogues going and some informal chatter just going so i'll try to make that and when people pass my desk high five um, raise up my hand so people can high five it on the way Um, but also in the retrospectives i use the modified starfish with a specific section for just giving appreciative feedback uh, or ending the retrospective with giving feedback to one other team member Um, because if we can train it in a closed setting in a retrospective then maybe it will Mm. spread also into the office space afterwards so but because you're doing that yourself what do you notice in the teams that you work with do they sort of take over that kind of behavior or do they how does that work is it awkward when you do it on your own or in the beginning it's awkward right but people soon begin to actually see that it's nice and it helps also in productivity and and happiness at work so i i see people uh actively also complimenting each other saying that that was a good job and and using high fives that's great 
Now it's awkward if it's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe not. A, I think it's a big question, but in your experience, what is sort of like uh, what are the biggest impediments uh, that you faced uh, in order to work effectively with Scrum? Uh, from my, for, for me personally, it is that I like to start things, but I'm not always good at finishing them. Mm. So I'm really good at kicking off a lot of things, but maybe not always seeing them through. And that is, of course, not good if we're trying to start up something and make sure that it actually gets out there. Okay. Do you have an example, maybe? Um, not right now, but I, I just know that I have started up stuff that I maybe never got actually to mm. finish, probably. Um, and, and, if, and if you look at organizational level, a lot of organizations want to start with Scrum. For Scrum Masters, it can be quite challenging to really support an organization yeah. and be effective with Scrum. Yeah, I think I think it's it's fun. So I've seen it at both Lego and where we were before, right? It often starts as a, a, as a grassroots movement with mm-hmm. a bottom-up approach. And people are like, we want to do Scrum, and you can only do as much. And then at some point... Hopefully, manage, the management layers will see, okay, maybe there's something to it and then start to buy into it. But from they say that they start to buy into it, there's, of course, a long road because what we as grassroots envision to be a good thing might not be the entire reality that we can either create or is actually a productive one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think actually finding the common ground between the grassroots movement and management, that is one mm-hmm. of the most difficult things. Mm-hmm. It seems like management is is quite involved in enabling an environment at Lego where you can work with Scrum. What, how how is how did that come about? Because that doesn't always happen. I think a lot of it again falls back to the Lego brand framework that fosters caring as well, um, but also the Danish mentality is that we will try to to talk to each other and not just hide behind the process. Um, and we need that because otherwise it might just be perceived that, okay, we want to run Scrum and we want to have sprints and leave us alone for two weeks and don't ever contact us, uh, only go to the PO. And that's not helpful either. So we need to find that common ground with stakeholders and management. How mm. do we actually handle mm. handle this part of it? Can you elaborate a little bit? You mentioned brand framework a couple of times, yeah. but I can imagine that not all the listeners immediately get oh, what that is. is no. Can you sort of summarize what that it, we, what that means for you? And, and we have a we have a Lego brand framework that is our guiding star, both with what are the aspirations of the Lego brand and what are the key values for us as employees. Um, and and it's it's super awesome to have that in the everyday life. So we can always say that okay play or fun is one of them and even hard fun which is a concept that kill uh, likes uh, the one from the owner owner family likes quite a lot and the idea here is that if you're fun and learning at the same time then it's then it's even better and we also have caring and and things to just use in our everyday Mm. life to make sure that we're actually adding value and living by the lego values Mm. so we'll never we'll never break those and i like that quite a lot I think we heard someone this this describe it this more also from Lego describe it this morning as um, if you if you have a conflict with someone else or if you have a different opinion having that shared purpose like putting a smile on a child's face with with yep. the products that you create that can help overcome those differences and find ways to move forward. I yep. think that was very yep. very nice. It is value driven yeah. to the core, and I like that quite a lot. Yeah. 
So I, I can also imagine that a lot of listeners are wondering like, so probably every Scrum Master at LEGO is continuously using LEGO within retrospectives and reviews. Is that in the LEGO game? I or is it like, oh no, not again LEGO. It's, it's a mix. I've never used LEGO bricks in a retrospective. Mm. Uh, I've never even had the idea, I think. This is the moment where we should drop a shocking silence. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but since, because we have Lego at, at the office, right? We have these team building stuff. So we, we don't use Lego for that kind of facilitation. But that being said, I have made the Lego for Scrum for the entire IT department at the time, because it's a brilliant API for, for that. So mm. it's not like we don't use Lego. At, at meetings yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've been talking of course about your journey and the and impediments that you face in, in your own work what is something that is a, a struggle for you personally as a scrum master because I have many struggles as a scrum master I'm curious what, what, what is a struggle for you for me again I, ha- I have several things that I'm focusing on and one of them is maybe my lack of focus sometimes I, mm. I might fall into the trap of Ooh, that's a new shiny thing. I'll chase after that and maybe not actually focus on what is going on at the moment. So that is one of the things I'm working on. Uh, Another thing is also I want to become a better coach, like pure coaching or solution-focused coaching or whatever we call it, because I think the place where my teams are at the moment, that is is something that could help them quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And why is it important, that that kind of coaching? Uh, One of the reasons for me being a scrum master is I want to enable other uh, the team members to succeed no matter if it's a product owner if it's a developer I want them to be as successful as possible Mm -hmm. so I don't need to have the limelight at a retrospective or or sprint review Mm -hmm. they they should have it there so I I want to enable them cool yeah I think you've heard of the the concept of zombie scrum Yes, like like, like uh, it looks like Scrum from a distance, but if you on a closer look, it's not really Scrum. There's no working software, and, and the Scrum events are all done mechanically, and there's no self-organization. But all the roles, events, and artifacts are in place. Uh, if you take a look at your team, what are the sort of like the pitfalls? It might not be Zombie Scrum yet, but what are sort of like the things that you are pay, ex- paying extra attention to? I have previously I realized that we were doing Zombie Scrum in one of the teams I was part of previously. But then we were quite lucky. We got a new product owner, which is by all means awesome. So she actually managed to to kick in a lot of energy and break a lot of the monotony that has gone into the team. Mm. Um, what was kind of, what was the kind of zombie scrum that was going on in the team? Can you so there there were working software, but everything was just done mechanically. It was now we sit down for an hour, plan a sprint, and we didn't have this shared heartbeat. It was more like four silos doing whatever the silos had to do. There wasn't this collaboration. And, how, and what did the product owner do to... She managed to give a shared vision. And so this team is actually put into this world to solve this. Hmm. And that unified and, and rallied people together around her and then continued to, to work much more as a team. Hmm. And so that was awesome. That's again purpose. Yes. So <laughs> that's sort of the theme that's recurring through mm. our interview so far. That's nice. Um, I'm also curious, um, maybe for Scrum Masters that are listening to this podcast, I mean, they're in different organizations, different levels of experience. What is something that you think every Scrum Master should do no matter the context? Like a tip, something that they can, that they should pay attention to or focus on? So uh, I have two things. If, if we end the concept of Scrum, 
uh, focus on sprint goals and retrospectives. That is, for me, the minimum. It, it cannot be called Scrum, but the minimum process. If we can create a goal, a high-level goal that runs for a week or two weeks, and then validate it if we actually met that goal or not, and then reflect on the process. Then afterwards, we can build everything around that if we need to be if hmm. we need so we can build a product backlog and, and everything but if we have a common goal for an iteration and then reflect on it that's pretty cool because it sort of summarizes the fact that sprint goals is one of the most important parts of scrum yes actually creating something so you can validate it's yep. really important and, and 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 reflecting on how that went and improving it yes Whereas most Scrum teams start with all the other events and the roles and don't do that. They don't have sprint goals and they don't have working software. So that's interesting. Yeah, but, but the problem with that, have, what I have realized, is that we obsess too much over the backlog and whether or not we have spillover. And to be honest, for me, that's not the important part. The important part is, did we actually achieve what we set out to do? And if we have a clear sprint goal, then we can always, through the sprint, say, so am I actually doing work that contributes to the sprint goal or am I just doing something else? Mm -hmm. If you're doing something else, I probably need to stop it and then find some way to actually support the sprint goal instead. Mm. Great. Well. Mm -hmm. Different question. Um, you might be familiar with the Scrum Master stances like coaching, facilitation. Yes. Uh, let's say recommended stances. There are also some not pre not so preferred stances like from police or, or uh, the coffee clerk stuff like that yeah but i actually like the coffee clerk yeah <laughs> that's <really good>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because for me so it's it's put as coffee clerk right but for me it's also uh, creating some energy and, and happiness at, at the office and that can be bringing a cup of coffee it yeah. can also be have you seen this uh, stupid YouTube clip yeah. so people know that they, they are not supposed to open links from me because they're probably stupid content on the other end of that link yeah. Yeah. Um, as long as getting coffee for the team <laughs> is not your only responsibility yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. so yesterday during the workshop uh, you also plotted all the Scrum Master stances on an eco cycle yep. to see so what are stances that I need to improve or to let go of or actually are going quite well. What are some insights that emerged while doing that exercise? What are stances that you might need to fulfill differently? I think the, the fun part is so the in quotes easy parts of a Scrum process uh, is all the mechanical things, things that we can quantify. Yes, we had a planning meeting. Yes, we had a retrospective. But the more soft side as coaching and mentoring, those are notoriously difficult also to carve a hole in your calendar for actually, okay, now I'll focus on coaching one or two team members or now I'll focus on mentoring another team or whatever rocks your boat, right? So that was one of the aha moments that mm. uh, me and other had yesterday that we're not alone in finding it sometimes difficult to make room and time for that part mm. of the role. Mm. And it's also difficult to see if it's value adding or not. You cannot easily say, yes, that was because I was coached, coached by Carsten or another Scrum Master. Cool. Maybe that was also related to one of the initiatives that was launched at LEGO, the idea of doing a Troika Consulting Tuesday. Yes. A Troika Tuesday. Sort of like to use the liberating structure Troika Consulting to give and get help from yep. each other. Uh, so those are excellent opportunities to, as well, coaching and mentoring to practice that. Yes. Mm. Maybe one more topic that I, I really want to pick your brain about, something that you've been spending a lot of time on already, but you're making videos. Yes. Um, quite some already on LinkedIn. Yeah, um, once per week. Can you tell me? Can you tell us a little bit more about why you do that? And, and Yes. So it actually comes from one and a half years ago. I was at a conference and then we had this uh, 
training with their graphical facilitation and I wanted to get some practice within that. And then I realized, so I, I know all these tools and am I actually able to communicate them in a snack-sized format? Um, so I I want them to be less than five minutes, hopefully five, six minutes at most, and then just see, can I actually communicate it to people and share the ideas? The second part of it is also, so if I'm helping a team a bit on the side with some ideas, then I can also link to them, okay, I think you need to try out uh, the retro wheel. I've described it here so they can see it whenever they have time and mental capacity. Because if we are discussing for an hour and coaching for an hour and or mentoring for an hour, then I've, 90% of what I say will be forgotten. So it's nice for them to take uh, home so they can revisit some of mm. these concepts. And also to start a discussion around, for instance, what is a scrum master, if you ask me. I, I find that quite interesting also because you need to be quite precise in what you say. Yeah. Well, the videos are really nice. And thank you for contributing your time and your videos to the community. I mean, uh, we, we always also like to share and there's always a lot of work involved. Yep. But it's highly recommended to take a look at your videos. Um, and maybe for, as a final question, then maybe you can help me a little bit with, with, with this because you already touched on it just now. Um, when you're at a party and someone asks you, what do you do for work? What answer do you give? Because I'm always struggling a little bit in how to explain what it is that I do as a scrum master. So that, that depends on the party. Sometimes uh, uh, I have a great friend, Nest. He says he's a scrum janitor. I think that's uh, rather fitting. So I don't necessarily do a lot of active work, so to say, but I, I hide in the shadows and make sure that other people shine. Um, so I sometimes pre uh, just call myself the janitor. The Scrum Janitor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Sc uh, Karsten, Scrum Master slash Scrum Janitor. Yes. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. And um, to all the listeners, thank you for listening. Um, we'll put uh, a link to Karsten's profile on LinkedIn in the comments. Also a link, of course, to your videos. Um, and we hope to see you again for our next episode. If you want to listen to more of our episodes, you can look for the Liberators Network podcast on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place by now. Um, if you like the episode, please give it a thumbs up or a plus or a favorite, whatever works in the platform that you're listening on. And we'll see you again next time. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.